and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus Van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon, and a good afternoon to Aaron Conway Smith, who's the senior correspondent for the Global Post、uh, in Johannesburg as well.、Uh, Aaron is with us this week to talk about、uh, really her experiences in both China and in Africa, particularly in South Africa, which is why we're so thrilled to have her on the show today. Welcome back to the program, Aaron. Thanks, Eric. And today we're going to be talking uh, uh, really about the about South Africa. We don't really focus as much attention on South Africa as we should, in part because it's really emerged as China's most important trading partner in Africa and really serving as the gateway. But this year marks the 15th anniversary of Sino-South African relations. We thought having two people who live and work in South Africa and follow these issues would be a great opportunity to discuss that. Aaron, when you look back at kind of the past 15 years of uh, of uh, Of this relationship,、uh, it, it has not been a, a smooth relationship all all the time. It's been a little bit bumpy over the years. But how would you assess where they are today, these two countries? I, I, to be honest, in my own work, I've, I've looked more at the kind of the, the relationship between、um, the ANC, the South African government,、um, and and the Chinese,、uh, the Communist Party,、um, in terms of sort of the political kind of you know exchanges. You know, so the ANC members going to Beijing to kind of study at the party school, sort of thing.、Um, from the trade side,、um, I mean, perhaps Cobus is better placed to talk.、Um, More about that.、Um Uh, <laughs> okay, well, let's cobus. Let's. I mean,、yeah. trade is the interesting one here because, you know, if if you follow, you know,、uh, you, if you do a Google alert on China Africa, and basically one of the themes every day is the rand is up on Chinese economic news, the rand is down on Chinese economic news, and it just seems like these two countries now are inextricably linked,、uh, for better and for worse. On the the good side is a lot of Chinese investment is coming into South Africa, manufacturing is coming to South. Africa,、uh, more China, more South African exports are going into the huge China market, but on the downside, those commodities that South Africa exports. Uh, you know those prices fluctuate quite a bit. So you know that expression, of course, when you know when China sneezes, South Africa is going to get a cold.、Um, you know, is this relationship healthy in its current state? And I'm going to bring you back to the Jacob Zuma comment. I think from the South African side, as as I understand it, is that it's it, to a certain extent it's a kind of a godsend relationship because you know South Africa. South African trade was originally really dominated by Europe,、um, and the European economic crisis would have been much more of a disaster to the South African economy if it hadn't been for China.、Um, you know, kind of. But then the South African government is also increasingly saying that they need to export more refined minerals, more more other kinds of products than just raw raw minerals. Among other reasons, because South Africa has been mined for a long time, and some of South Africa's, especially South Africa's gold. Old, um, reserves are dwindling, so、um, you know. So the, the South African government is very conscious of the need to to create jobs and also to to try and kind of sell what kind of minerals they have left for better prices.、Um, but I think that is happening to a certain extent. I mean, for example, there was a, you know there's a big TV and electronics 
um, you know, kind of assembly plant that opened in Cape Town recently. Um, so I think it's 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 moving, but it's I think it's not moving as quickly as the South African government would like. Well, let me let's go back to this Jacob Zuma comment that he said that the relationship ultimately is not sustainable, and what he was referring to was the export of raw materials in you know, and then the reimportation of finished goods. This this is again a theme that we've heard you know across the continent. It's the neo-colonial type of theme that that's come up again, and you were recently. At a, at a conference where this issue came up again. Tell us a little bit about some of the, the discussions that are going on about the sustainability over the long term of this relationship. Well, you know, what was interesting about it was that this was, it wasn't an academic conference, it was a conference dedicated and celebrating, you know, 15 years of South African-China diplomatic relations. So it was, it was run by and, and organized by the South African um, Department of International Relations and Cooperation. I always forget their new name, um, and and also the you know kind of with with help with from the Chinese embassy. So it was interesting that it actually came out at that kind of formal you know kind of quite controlled kind of forum, where South African officials also said that we need we need to beneficiate this relationship. It can't be uh, you know kind of the traditional raw minerals out you know kind of manufactured stuff in kind of relationship. They they, they echoed things that South African government has been saying for a while. Aaron, I'd like to get your take on another aspect of this relationship which has caused quite a bit of tension uh, throughout South Africa, and that's the presence of so many Chinese immigrants and Chinese merchants. And it's um, it's one of the stories that has appeared rather consistently over the years in the Chinese in the South African media about the fact that you know Chinese merchants are underselling uh, businesses, the presence of South African unions, which are much stronger than almost any other unions on the continent, uh, they resent the fact that there are uh, there's that competition from uh, from from the low wage Chinese labor and the and, and and then also the 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 very complicated racial and ethnic tensions that exist in South Africa as part of the legacy uh, of apartheid. Talk to us a little bit about that on the on, on the assimilation side in the everyday life. Well, you know, um, in South Africa, compared to some other countries in Africa that I've that I've visited and worked in, I actually see um, a little bit less presence of, funnily enough. Um, c- compared to, uh, you know, remembering seeing in, in downtown Windhoek in Namibia, you know, Chinese laborers working on construction projects, um, or, um, where, where, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, but is that because Nigeria, you think that they're, they're seeing, more, they're more spread you know, out they, or is it because, because, or they're more concentrated I, I in, in Windhoek? I just think that you don't – I haven't seen the sort of big infrastructure projects here where you have Chinese laborers being brought over um, to work on them. I haven't seen that so much in South Africa. You do see Chinese shops um, that sell, you know, kind of in every town um, that sell, uh, you know, the kind of same sort of low-cost goods. Um, but I think that there's actually been a lot more focus on um, – and I guess the people that would be their competitors, which are the sort of um, Somali shop owners or um, Pakistani shop owners um, who have also been targeted in xenophobic violence. You hear about the occasional problem involving Chinese shop owners, you know, in sort of random towns, but not not as much as... Uh, I really think it's a bit overblown, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, interesting. Kobus, so, you know, you, you were obviously South African. Uh, you know, you were born, if, if, I, if I'm correct, during the apartheid era. Um, this is a very yes. complicated subject in South Africa when it comes to race, immigration, assimilation. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about last year 
um, about this question. What was that uh, that that kind of parody journal, The Nose, or something like that? And they wrote this really kind of Noseweek. Noseweek. That's right. Noseweek. Oh, this yeah. really awful <laughs> article on on, on immigration yeah. and assimilation. We were trying to, you know, Aaron. We were trying to kind of figure out during this our discussion. Then is that is the frustration that was expressed in the Noseweek article indicative of a broader anxiety in the society, or is just Noseweek being an asshole? As from what I understand, they're they're accustomed to doing. So, Cobus, yeah. how do you think they fit? Uh, you know, the, the Chinese in the the fabric of South Africa's complex racial history. I think like almost everything in South Africa, the case of Chinese people in South Africa is more complicated than anywhere else. Um, and, you know, kind of because there's been successive waves of Chinese immigration, there's been a, a community that's been here for a long time. Um, and they experienced, you know, discrimination under apartheid as well. So, um, and there has been, you know, lawsuits um, in the late 2000s where they actually won the right to call themselves previously Disadvantage, which has a lot of economic issues, you know, attached to it. South Africa has um, has a very complicated raft of laws, which forces businesses to to be what they call BEE compliant, which is you know kind of black economic empowerment compliant, which means that you need to when you start a business you need to hire a certain amount of previously disadvantaged people, and the fact that Chinese you know kind of got themselves called very controversially at that time, um, kind of labelled as also previously disadvantaged, you know, kind of that that showed the long history they have in South Africa. Um, I, my feeling is, and I, I'd love to, to ask Erin about this because I think she knows more about this than I do, um, my feeling is that there is a certain perception in South Africa that there are very high-level you know, connections between the African National Congress and the Chinese Communist Party, and that, the, you know, kind of, and that... Uh, the, you know, so in, in the Afrikaans press, sometimes the, uh, the, the Chinese are used as a kind of a stick to, you, to, to kind of beat the ANC with. Um, so, Erin, I was wondering, you know, kind of do, do you have that perception as well? And what is that relationship actually like? Uh, I think there there is that perception, definitely. Uh, as for what that relationship is like, um, it's. I, th- I think it's a bit like you know China's relationship with any country that it thinks is you know Im- important um, strategically and economically. I don't know if there's something. I mean, they do talk about sort of the, the history of um, of. of of ties, um, I, I know that it's only been 15 years since they've had official relations. Um, before that, South Africa was, um, you know, allied to Taiwan. But I mean, going way back, um, kind of during the struggle times, um, I, I, I think that. I don't know if it's really so different, again, as I said, from, from any relationship where China views it as sort of important to. Um, to, to maintain good, good ties and, and um, good relations with the government, um, and I think that it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. No. I mean, and, and you bring up the, the Taiwan question, and, and this is implicit in the when we look back at the past fifteen years. Fifteen years is really not that much when you look at Africa, China's relationships in Africa. Many of them date back much, much farther than that. And what was interesting, you know, when I was a teenager uh, in living in Taiwan, uh, and I remember seeing a very strong South African presence. And at that time, there was this kind of you know relationship between. Between South Africa, Taiwan, Israel, and Singapore. 
And, and, and I thought, what is the relationship that those four very disparate countries have, or Taiwan not being a country, disparate nations have together? And basically they were small, you know, governing populations surrounded by hostile forces. <laughs> so the South African was a white government surrounded by a hostile black majority. Taiwan was obviously at the, you know, surrounded by the Chinese, uh, Singaporeans, you know, at the edge of Mal- the, the Malays, and then the, uh, the Israelis, uh, you know, surrounded by uh, the Arabs, uh, different Arab countries. And that was a, bi- a bind that, that kept them together for a very, very long time. And so that's what made the, the Dalai Lama's visit to South Africa very interesting for me, because after relations were established, after China and South Africa kiss and made up, uh, the Dalai Lama tries to go visit uh, South Africa, where he was denied a visa. Aaron, I think this was at the time when you were in South Africa. Did you cover that story? Uh, yeah, I wrote about that. And again, there was another, more recently as well, um, there was, an, you know, I can think of another instance where that happened as well, where he wanted to come and visit. I think it was for the Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu's birthday. birthday. That's right. Um, but that taps yeah. into this yeah, history wasn't... of, you know, obviously the yeah. Tibet is a sensitive issue for the Chinese, the most sensitive issue, yes. and, and Tibet being yes. surrounded by the Chinese and the Han. And so, you know, I, I just thought this was a milestone, This the, the, the these Dalai Lama visits or attempted visits were milestones in the China-Africa relationship in the past 15 years. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you covered during that time. Well, you know, I mean, I spoke to the, the Tibetan office of Pretoria, and they were, you know, of course, disappointed. Um, the, the Chinese just sort of tried, uh, the Chinese, right, the South Africans just sort of almost tried to avoid having to deal with it. I remember, the, you know, there was various wrangling over the application, and, like, it, you know, they didn't kind of come out and say no quite clearly or anything like that. I just thought it was really interesting at the time because given South Africa's history, you know, it wasn't that long ago when, when you know, you know, people would be banned um, who, you know, writers or kind of journalists who wrote against the apartheid regime would be banned from coming into South Africa. And then, you know, it's sort of surprising then to see, you know, somebody not being allowed to come in, um, given what the history is in this country. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of remarkable, really. But, but Cobus, the official line coming out of Pretoria was the fact that the, the official line was um, that, well, there's a bureaucratic snafu. It wasn't because of pressure from China. Yeah, you know, kind of it was it was using its <laughs> it's the dysfunction of South Africa's yeah. bureaucratic systems as a reason, you know. So it's like, well, what what are we supposed to do? The, the system is, you know, falling apart. Well, <laughs> sorry, kind of feeling, you know. So <laughs> it was it was quite kind of disingenuous. Which, by the way, was the same argument that the Chinese put forward uh, on Edward Snowden, which, uh, you know, well, the uh, the asylum application wasn't filled out properly, or the uh, I'm sorry, the extradition application wasn't filled out properly, so we had to let him go. You know, so I guess when the the Hong Kong SAR government, when they kind of let Edward Snowden go, they gave the uh, the Chinese a little taste of their own medicine there and, and turned it back. But I guess the the point is is you know is is the relationship now so important to South Africa that they don't want to do anything that could potentially destabilize it, whether that is to mess with the Taiwan issue, to mess with, you know, Tibet, and, and they would, in fact, kowtow. And I think this is what, this, this reason why this issue is so important for other African governments is because it reveals that when push comes to shove, China can throw its weight around and have real consequences on the ground in African domestic politics. And Kobus, is that reading too much into it? Was this just a bureaucratic snafu? When we have hindsight now, what really happened here? And is this the milestone that I'm making it out to be? 
you know, it's difficult for me to say. I think it was more of a milestone in from outside of South Africa, maybe, than inside of South Africa. Um, I was just back from overseas when that happened, so, I, you know, I don't think I saw it completely in its context. Um, but, you know, it's... Um, I think what, what one thing it, it, well, it made clear was that, you know, South Africa have a lot economically riding on the, on the China-Africa relationship. Um, and they just, I think, probably decided that, well, this, you know, kind of symbolically the Dalai Lama is important, but China is important in many real ways for us, you know, kind of, and we're just going to weather, like, ride this out. I might be, uh, I'm not sure, you know, kind of, I might not be interpreting it in the right way. Aaron, I'd like to get your take on a comment made by Michael Pettis, who I think is a professor at Beijing University. He's really known as one of the more prominent uh, professors on Chinese international finance. And and recently he gave a comment to Business Day Live, an interview to Business Day Live. And and one of the the quotes stood out really, really loudly. And, And he said, quote, you know, South Africa is going to suffer terribly uh, due to its relationship and its economic dependence on China. And he's implying, of course, that, you know, because the Chinese economy is slowing, uh, ergo, the South African economy will suffer terribly. What was your take on that quote? I mean, I, they were very strong words uh, for Michael Pettis, um, who's, who, who is, you're right, from Beijing University. Um, and the, the thing is, is though, is we're seeing other takes on it. Um, the Economist had a piece uh, just a few days ago as well that, that took a different uh, stance, basically saying that no, um, you know, the uh, Chinese uh, slowdown uh, it will not necessarily <laughs> affect um, African economies as much as some people are saying. Um, so, uh, you know, again, we don't really know. Um, the, the, the business day article did point out that, that, um, Pettis has been rather pessimistic about, um, Chinese economy. Yeah, he's happens. a bear. So, he's definitely a bear. So I think yeah, that's something yeah. worthwhile saying. Yes, absolutely. But, uh, but I think there definitely is concern, um, in South Africa. Uh, I mean, we saw, um, when, uh, uh, Rob Davies, the trade minister, um, trade and industry minister, uh, was in China just recently for the, there were some South African expos showing, showing South African products and companies. Um, and, you know, he was taking a lot of questions, a lot of, um, uh, con- there were a lot of concerns over all of the strikes that were happening in South Africa. Um, and I do think that, that things like that, um, are all, you know, I, I think I can understand why South African companies um, and, you know, that the, the do business with China would have a concern right now when you have both the Chinese slowdown and, you know, concern from the Chinese side about South, about South Africa, yeah. um, about strikes. So, yeah, again, I've, I've been reading different views on what the impact might be for South Africa. Um, and... I'm, uh, you know, as with everything, I'm kind of falling in the middle. <laughs> okay. Because I, I mean, because I, I, I guess my question was going to be where do you, you know, after now looking forward, you know, for the next 15 yeah. years, you know, what's your kind of assessment on, on where you think it's going? Well, I mean, the economist piece, I think, makes a good point in that when, you know, you have Chinese firms that have put a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, capital into, into, you know, building mines and building sort of the infrastructure for projects. They're not going to kind of abandon it (laughs) quickly. Um, But I think, you know, you're talking earlier about, for example, South African citrus growers and other kind of expansions in South African exports to China. I think that might take a hit, you know, things like that. Um, So... 
Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, Cobus, let me put the same question to you. Where do you see the relationship going in the next 15 years? Well, you know, kind of, I think I think South Africa is, is aggressively trying to also expand its own business into into Africa, um, and that is, is frequently ha- happening with Chinese equipment or Chinese networks. That you, you see that particularly in South African cell phone companies that are very big in Africa now, um, and also South African media. You know, kind of, so a lot of that is happening. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's happening. It's running on a lot of of you know kind of of cooperation with China, but you know kind of from a kind of a South African, you know, kind of impetus. So, uh, you know, kind of, I think it seems to me it, it might, you know, kind of, if, if the Chinese economy slows down um, and, you know, kind of then that, that so the South African economy will probably feel that impact, but it, it will probably happen over a, a while. Um, and the South, you know, kind of, and meanwhile, the South African e- economy is working very hard to diversify itself and to, to kind of, to be a little, you know, kind of more of a, kind of a power player in other markets as well. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, I think it might, they might be able to bridge that gap, maybe, you know? Yeah, no, and, and I'll, I'll put my last two cents on this one, which is that I actually think the relationship is going to be healthier than Michael Pettis is putting it out to be, in part because, uh, in Cobus, a theme you and I have talked about is the fact that the Chinese are investing more in more diversified sectors in South Africa than they are elsewhere on the continent. It's, a, it's an island of stability in many respects that, you know, Sudan, Angola, the DRC don't offer. And in that sense, I do think that there's going to be a healthier trade relationship between South Africa and China than you may see in other parts of the continent. Um, and so that's interesting, again, in, in, in telecom, in manufacturing, as well as in commodity exports. And one of the other kind of key areas to focus on is, uh, is, is UN convertibility. Uh, more and more South African banks are going to be processing loans and processing payments in UN, in the RMB, and, and I think that's another area to kind of look at. So that'll do it for this edition of the China and Africa podcast. Uh, Aaron, at the end of every show, one of the things we like to do is to kind of point people in the direction of where you are on the internet and what what you're reading and what you're uh, writing. Where can people follow you if they want to stay in touch with uh, with what you're doing? Sure. My work is at globalpost.com uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at EJCS, my initials. Okay. And uh, just again, uh, another little promo for the Global Post, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, it's an American news site based out of Boston that does international news, uh, and really from a global perspective, not uniquely from an American perspective. Um, you know, I say that as an American, but, you know, our news, you know, isn't always the most, uh, you know, fair and balanced, as, uh, as they would say. Uh, but this, in this particular case, the Global Post uh, deserves a, a lot of credit for what they're doing. So, and you can follow Aaron's excellent work over there. Kobus, if people want to follow what you're doing, what's the best place they can stay in touch with you? You'll see me on our Facebook page. Um, and my, I put my name in brackets when I respond to people. And also, I'm on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. I'm tweeting the top China and Africa headlines almost every day. And, of course, if you want the, the headlines every week, uh, we have a, a little partnership going with Henry Hall over in the uh, China Africa News uh, weekly newsletter. So go to ChinaAfricanews.com. 
and he'll basically give you a great rundown of all the top stories and a little bit of his analysis uh, on uh, on those stories each week. It's a great way to get uh, a newsletter and to stay on top of the headlines. Uh, and of course, if you want to follow our podcast, iTunes is the best way, but you can also find us on SoundCloud and Stitcher as well. So until next time, thank you again for listening to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you.